welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. The great inventor Thomas Edison once said, there's a way to do it better, find it. This ethos is at the heart of digital transformation in manufacturing, where the quest for efficiency, sustainability and innovation never ceases. You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. Our guest today is Michael Bucknell, a seasoned expert in industrial automation and business process automation. With decades of expertise under his belt, Michael is on a mission to empower SME manufacturers in Australia to embrace technology and data-driven strategies. We discuss how digital tools can mitigate key person risk and enhance operational efficiency in SME manufacturing settings, real-world case studies where manufacturers have successfully transitioned to digital operations, common pitfalls when moving away from paper-based processes, especially concerning product safety, and Michael's actionable advice for SME manufacturers looking to modernise their operational processes. We trust you'll enjoy the interview. Michael, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Tech Australia. Thanks for having us in, guys. Mate, straight into it, I'm just going to punch you in the nose with the first question. Yeah, let's do it. I reckon in many SME manufacturing settings, there's often a reliance on a few key folks. Typically, they've got broad experience across the business process. They've probably been there a while. And so you end up with this scenario where you've got a key person risk, either because they're a flight risk or they might just be retirement age and likely to move on. And there's that whole knowledge transfer thing to, to challenge. So I think Paul and I often talk about the fact that we reckon digital tools can help mitigate this risk and improve operational efficiency, but I'd love your thoughts on this. And tribal knowledge is the, the term you hear a lot, of, isn't it? And you, you pick two there, whether someone's just moving on or retiring. And retiring is a big one, right? Because we've got this aging workforce in manufacturing and you've often got those guys that have been there, done that. They know the ins and outs of how to make that factory hum. And yet it's a real challenge. They don't tend to be digital natives. It's a lot of it's up here. And they're either going to instill that knowledge in the next generation by, by voice and, and, and physically showing them what to do, or they're going to take it with them when they move on out of the business. Yeah, absolutely. I had a classic example not too long ago. There was one guy who knew how to operate the robotic welding system in this manufacturer, and he was off for a couple of days or there was some issue why he couldn't come. And there was literally no one that could run that equipment. Right. So I think like it's just critical in, in, for a lot of different reasons. Let's not talk about the irony that the robot couldn't work on its own. But yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes, yes, robotics. Let's not go there. No, look, it, it's a big problem, right? And for all sorts of reasons, it can have a huge impact on the flexibility of that business, the resilience of that business to be able to continue producing when that person's there, whether it's a temporary stay, holidays like you mentioned, or if they've moved on for good until they've recouped all that knowledge or rebuilt all that knowledge. So Michael, what are some of the solutions to this problem? What are some of the things that people could look at to improve this the situation? Yeah, look, I think in terms of what technologies are available to help improve this, it's helping capture that knowledge and transfer that knowledge onto other. I mean, the word digital twin gets bandied around a lot these days, but we can really capture that knowledge and encapsulate it in a way that sort of builds a legacy digital twin of the these experts within the factory. So that knowledge can be shared while they're still there to all the other people performing those same tasks, but also as a legacy after they're gone. So to make sure that best practice that they've built up over potentially years and years resides in that factory uh, for the future workforce after them. 
I guess that could look like even before a digital twin, that could just be like a, a paperwork instruction that then moves on to the, the more digital version of that to yeah. move towards that digital twin thing. So I guess there's baby steps you could take too. Isn't baby it? steps. Look, by all means, the first thing is acknowledging that, that you do have this sort of these individuals within your business that may have knowledge that no one else in the business has that knows to kick that thing in the bottom right hand corner first thing on a monday morning to get the best out of it and acknowledging that and understanding where those are is the first step the next step of course is trying to get that information out of their heads and into a system and papers a great place to start digital just makes it easy to distribute that to, to lots of people who need to consume it at the same time Michael, could you maybe give us um, a few examples of, of how businesses have taken stuff that's in people's brain and, and made it more digital and make those systems work a little bit better? And what were some of the factors that made that successful? Yeah, no problem at all. Multiple examples. We've just finished one big one in New Zealand with food factories. They do dozens of different types of foods over there. And they had a, a very transient workforce, was always learning off the backs of other people all the time. Inconsistent process was one of their challenges. So... By putting in systems there that sort of captured that knowledge of the best practice, put it into a literally their digital forms. They literally just pop up to the right operator at the right part of the process and say, hey, here's what we need you to do. Click this button to find out how to do it, that best practice, which could be a video of someone else doing that. It could just be a step-by-step -step that walks you through with photos of how to set this machine up correctly. Another great little example is a, a little company in Adelaide. And I love these guys because they produce kitchen sinks. So I can literally hand on heart say, yep, yeah, we, we help people to produce everything, including the kitchen sink. And they were really trapped in their factory. They had a lot of people that had been there for a long time. They have really beautiful old legacy equipments from the 70s, but they really can't change that. So they needed to figure out ways within that invest, those people, that process, that old equipment, how could we improve and utilize efficiency to compete with cheaper product coming from in from overseas? So by capturing the knowledge of the, the best in each particular function there, we were able to, again, distill that into instructions that through for every person on every shift doing those roles. And they saw a, an uplift in productivity. They saw a decrease of about 15% from memory in the idle time of people waiting, waiting, asking someone else, how do I do this? Where's the, where do I find the, it's here? Because we've already asked Roger, who's been doing that for 20 years. And this is the way Roger tells you to do that. What I love about that digital process too, Michael, is we were talking about this the other day offline. And when changes are made in paper systems or even forms, so you know, I've got to be printed out and, and handed to people on the floor. The one little change is made, you've got to go print them out again, make the changes. And often people just don't get time to make those changes. So what I love about the digital system is you can make them on the fly, on the spot, it's updated, and then you've got it there live. It's constantly, it's like a living document, living information. Yeah. Continuous improvement. Let's distill it to that, isn't it? It's, and even better if, if companies can really get the buy-in of those people with that tribal knowledge we talked about before that digital legacy if you can get them to buy in and say look you help us build that workflow they can just be constantly refining hey what if we did this little thing here i do that i didn't know about that but let's combine those two and we can not only get the great result we can shave a couple of minutes off that cycle time as well i think what's interesting as you said there's an opportunity there to include video in some of the instructions because 
my immediate reaction when you were describing it was to go, oh, crikey, it's not like those Dan Dykea, here's a picture and it's still going somewhere and you've got to figure it out in this fourth dimension in your head, how it all comes together. I reckon that's probably key, right? Because in the world where old mate's standing next to you, he or she's holding something and showing you and going through the process and the one dimensional stick diagram on a photocopied bit of paper isn't really going to solve that problem, right? Doesn't cut it. No, and you're right. Like in terms of how the media that's used to, to do this video is a fantastic way to capture that little video, stick it up next to that instruction. And the instruction says, I need you to do X, Y, and Z now click here to watch this. And look, most of the guys are only going to watch the video a couple of times and then they're just going to, next time that instruction pops up, got it down pat. I would love to see that integrated with augmented reality and mixed reality too, where you can see that augmented in real time in front of the operator. Yeah. Application for that technology. I haven't seen that. What I've seen it with the visualizations, the 3D models, et cetera, that, so you can mm -hmm. look at it, but not with the VR integrated as well. I have to get working on that. <laughs> yes, you will. I'll give you some pointers. So you've been doing this for a while, mate. And obviously what are you saying, Shane? Times, for those who are listening and not watching, Michael's rubbing his head. You've seen this a few times and obviously not everyone gets it right. Okay. Some people make mistakes. Not everyone gets it right. Yeah. Whatnot. And maybe you could talk through some of the pitfalls that you see when people are moving from these paper-based process and key person dependencies, but particularly maybe framing it in the context of like product safety. Cause I reckon that's something that we overlook in terms of why do I need to digitize a process and get it right? Yeah. Look, that why at the very end there is, is absolutely critical. And I think if we're going to, I'll distill it into sort of three things that, that are probably really important in terms of what separates the successful from the, those ones that maybe don't succeed. And, and one of the big ones is that understanding the why people are doing things. Too, too often when people go down this digital path or, or any really structured path and taking that away from the operator, making decisions to, to a method where you're guiding them what to do, it's not giving them that context to that why. They understand the what they're given do X, but they don't understand that outcome and why we need to do X. And if they understand why, then they can tune the process. They can allow for variances in the temperature in the factory, for example. If it's too humid in here today, and I've got an example of a factory where the humidity can have an impact in a bakery on the product that comes out, same in cement, the temperature and humidity makes a difference to the bake time, if you like, for the product in some industries. And it really does take that now up there. So they've got to understand that. Why are we doing this? What is it that we're trying to achieve? Not just follow rote instructions. Yes. If I distill down a whole bunch of these, the three biggest things I've seen that really are elements to success. One is not biting off more than you can chew. So choose tools that enable you to build. Do a piece, prove it out, build another piece, prove it out, build another piece. Don't try and do everything at once. That's often bigger than Ben-Hur is often something that leads to, to failure. We end up, it's like anything when you set yourself goals and get those goals, get a win. Another is building digital silos. We see a lot of times that the quality team will go off and do something. The production team will go off and do something. But what we end up with is great silos of digital information instead of silos of old school tribal knowledge. So we still haven't really solved that because we haven't got it to everyone that can utilize that knowledge. And the third one is the people that build it and they will come is just not the case. You've got to get them involved from the outset. And the best deliveries I ever see of these kind of solutions are where 
they pick a team of people and those people are not often technical experts. They're people, the people that can engage with the rest of the team and bring them on that journey and, and get that information out of them, get it in the system, get their feedback on what's working, what's this user experience like. It's a big change management process. Get the people involved and find a win in it for them. What occurs to me is that in a lot of businesses, the person who's been there for 30 years, who's the oracle and is going to teach you how to do your piece of the puzzle, in a scenario where that person's there, they inherently know the why. They know the process end to end. They know what's coming up and downstream from this particular point. And I think in terms of why, it's about if I, as a new operator, comes in and I'm told this is your SAP and these are the six steps you need to follow, you're right. If I don't know three steps down the chain that XYZ happens and that makes a whole bunch more contextual sense to me. Whereas old mate who's teaching me just knows that inherently because when the business was three people and he was doing it all, it grew and grew. And now you're just doing your piece of the puzzle, but without that vision forward and up and downstream, it's really, that's a really interesting point. I've got endless little anecdotes around that one, Shane, that where the new guy comes in and, and he can get 10% better throughput from his part of the process. Meanwhile, there's things piling up on the floor further down somewhere in the factory because it's he was that's been designed as a holistic system and uh he didn't understand the entirety of that system what it takes to make it and what about some of the feedback mechanisms michael like the data coming back from the machines information off the line sensors all that kind of stuff how does that sort of come back into this picture around helping workers work a little bit smarter and, and make their work a bit easier yeah look every single step in here when you build these workflows as we call them, guiding people through their steps, that the data is built in around everything in these steps. So the metadata on it, whether the user may not even be aware that it's being tracked in terms of the quality of every step action that's taken, the time that it's taken, et cetera. So we, we see a lot of opportunity for, for example, across six different crews working on three shifts, comparing how long or how well various steps of that process are done and then being able to take that best practice from a certain crew and have them mentor or apply that or train into other teams. So there's huge variation sometimes in the way that different individuals or teams can be doing the same function and huge things that can be learnt from the, the best in each of those functions and applied that would be really hard to identify without that data. Yeah, I guess if we look back to lean manufacturing principles where we're trying to standardise the work and use that baseline, now let's optimise from that. These kind of systems are a great tool for doing that. And I guess also if you think about HACCP and all that sort of automated data reporting, legal requirements, you've got to report on what's happening on the line set of people just filling in stuff randomly or filling in it ahead of time and that kind of thing. We've seen that. That doesn't happen. Oh, no, that doesn't happen. But this is a way of making it a bit easier for people. They don't have to think about it. It's automatically recorded, that kind of thing. So I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Look, you really hit a pretty big nail on the head there. And if I was going to sum that one up, that, that is taking the obligation off the operator, the worker to remember, oh, I've got to do that at this time or when this happens and putting that obligation on the employer, the factory, the production manager, or the people designing the process to map that out and have the system simply guide. So the system becomes a tap on the shoulder to say, Hey, Shane, I need you to go and sample this. Michael, I need you to go and check this and 
Paul, can you go and move this product before it piles up on the floor over here? So it's really taking that stress and pressure off the guys to remember all the ins and outs. And when we think about it, something like a, a dairy, whether it's lactose, non-lactose, they end up, if you look at the total number of products or SKUs, potentially tens of thousands of different variants of products going through. And these guys need to remember all the ins and outs. So the system is really offloading that and letting them just get on with monitoring the process and getting that tap on the shoulder when there are critical things to do. So I imagine you've seen, as you're going through this process of digitizing, let's just call it an SAP and on the factory floor or something, that it becomes apparent pretty quickly that maybe the process hasn't always been followed the way it ought to have been. And some of these new digital tools start to highlight the fact that either stuff isn't happening the way it's prescribed or maybe even signed off uh, or worse. Perhaps you could share that. Look, I'm not sure if I uh, can give too many uh, specific anecdotes there, but yes, we see funny ones all the time. I was at a exhibition about a month ago and, and a production manager came up and he was looking at what we do and asking about prescribed time intervals for doing certain checks. And he just looked at me and laughed. He said, it was only just yesterday I walked into the factory floor and picked up a piece of paper and looked at it and I said to the production manager, that's great. You've already done all the quality checks for the next two hours of production. And it happens all the time. So back to your question there, Shane. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. We've found cases where there's been a, a dead end action taken for collecting some data. And when we re rewind through it, people remember, oh yeah, we implemented this little test 10 years ago to collect this data at this point, but we mothballed that after three months. Someone has been for 10 years collecting that data and paying to file it in a warehouse for 10 years, uh, simply because they were taught this is part of your role in this role, in this shift. So mapping the whole thing out finds those dead ends. And I think I talked offline with you guys, a very funny one we came across and in, in not so funny in hindsight, uh, a particular test that should have been on the paperwork, said it should have been performed at the beginning of every shift. But when we came to actually digitize and that that action popped up and said perform this action we had the poor plant manager almost fell off his chair because the, the big boss was there and he realized if i do that i'm going to lose 10 minutes of production time resetting everything humans are very very incredible at finding easier ways to to do things finding more efficient ways to do things i was talking literally yesterday and we had a customer and he was telling us that this amazing bit of tool they did with this alarms to try and check for this particular problem. And the problem was literally that their machine was occasionally, when it ran out of product, producing and packaging empty boxes. So they set up this massive thing. And when they first put this big machine in, it was detecting and giving alarms off all the time. But after a week or so, it stopped giving any alarms. And he went down on the floor and said, what's happening? And they said, oh, we got rid of that. It was really annoying. They just put a fan literally across the conveyor belt and the fan blew off any empty cartons, but the full ones kept flowing through. Yeah, humans are very creative, very divisive, very good at solving problems. So Michael, there's a bunch of really good reasons why any business should look at digitizing their process and systems, whether it's on the fa factory floor or wherever, whether that's quality, improving safety, automating systems, or just making work easier mm. for the operators. So maybe if I'm getting started in this, can you give us just a couple of starting points, top tips to get started? digitizing processes on the floor? Top tips, I guess, number one is, I would say, really get down there and find out 
what are the pain points and what are that, that, that hidden knowledge? What are the processes? It, it's really a bit, a bit about process mapping and the lean guys are really good at this, getting on the floor and literally following that process flow. Sometimes it's not even asking, it's just a lot of watching and seeing what's actually happening on that process flow. Once you've got that real process flow, you can start getting an idea of, of where there's trouble. Understanding as well, again, who is, who, where that knowledge resides and what knowledge potentially, if you constantly see the team always going over to Roger to, hey, Roger, hey, Roger, then we really need to get that out of Roger's head and distribute it to everyone else's head, don't we? Number two, just talking to people, listening to things like this podcast, going to exhibitions, talking to other manufacturers in different disciplines, different verticals. What can you learn from people doing other things? Because the guys doing medical will have some really good ideas about doing stuff. And the guys doing automotive will have some really good ideas that you can bounce off as well. I think that's really it. Researching what's out there, really understanding your process. And then the other one really is get everyone at the table. Don't do this in isolation. I see a lot of people trying to build a process without a delegate from the quality team and without someone who really understands the nuances of production that, that knows that that machine has to be stopped all the time for X, Y, Z reason. Get people from the warehousing involved as well, because that's a big part, that material movement of getting the raw materials to the right stations and then getting work in progress to somewhere else in the factory or getting those finished goods removed so we can keep producing. It's a holistic thing. We're talking about orchestrating. I love that word orchestration. We're orchestrating everyone in the factory harmoniously, but no one individual can do that. You really do need to get delegates from all those teams involved. When you first showed me how the system works, Michael, I was like, wow, this is just like a digital value stream map, but it's live. You've got that advantage of it's not just once you're finished doing it, it's static and you're able to improve that. Yeah. Look, that, that value stream map exactly, but let's make it live and let's delegate on the spot. The, the number one waste in, in lean wastage terms in production is waiting, time waste, people waiting to do something or a machine sitting idle waiting for something. It could be waiting for information. It could be waiting for approval. It could be waiting for someone else to do their job. So if we can eliminate a lot of this waiting and simply send that information what we need, and again, a lot of that is just that something I don't know. And I need to know that before I can get on and do my job. That information transfer, it's a huge part of it. So Michael, we're coming up on time. I might wrap up here. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. This has been a really interesting and I think insightful conversation, particularly for listeners in our market who are probably sitting there going, I'm about to hit this generational change of the workforce and labor's tough and people are moving around chasing money. And I've got these challenges around ongoing training and making sure people know what they're supposed to do and yeah, making sure I maintain quality and stuff. So appreciate you spending the time with us and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to chat to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Been an absolute pleasure. Talk again soon. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.